in Japan, it is very common. Somebody makes a mistake and maybe coaching session in front of people. And then the perspective is that if somebody else is also listening, then they will all learn the same lesson. Mm -hmm. That's their perspective, right? That's why they do it the way they do it. But at workplace here, if you do that here, it's more being perceived as you were humiliated. It's usually happened more private setting. But that kind of conversation often happens in Japan in public open space or in front of a group of people. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's changing now, but I know that's what I'm hearing from the people. It's more common. And then definitely at school, I'm pretty sure that's common too. Hello, and welcome to episode six of Intercultural Insiders. My name is John McGraw, and I am the host of the Intercultural Insiders show. I help expats and newcomers feel confident in their new country in less time and pain. I'm also the founder of Hiyaku Coaching, which is dedicated to helping you create your pathway to success in a new culture. The purpose of Intercultural Insiders is to share the stories of people with intercultural experiences. If you're feeling isolated or lost, you can hear something that could help you, even if it's just a reminder that you're not alone. By rising to the challenge of adapting to another culture, we can become better versions of ourselves. I'll introduce the guest for today's show. Chie Schuler is a coach for Japanese expats and their families, who have relocated to the United States. And she has decades of experience acting as a bridge between those cultures, starting from when she was a teenager. This is part one of a two-part interview. And I'm gonna mention some of the highlights from today's portion. She gets into some of her early experiences with learning English and teaching Japanese. She talks about her connection with her host family when she first stayed in the US. And we talk about a significant cultural difference that could have a major impact, not only in schools, but also the workplace, whether you're working in Japan or the United States. I think this is something that could apply to workplaces in Canada as well. So without further ado, let's get into that interview. Wonderful to have you here today. Very excited to hear about your experiences and what you're doing. To start off, could you give us an introduction? Thank you, John, for inviting me for this podcast and this chat. My name is Chie Schuler, and I was born and raised in Japan, a place called Miyagi Prefecture, northeast of Japan. And I came to the United States as a high school exchange student in the late 90s. But since 2004, I've been living in Columbus, Ohio. You came to the States as a high school student, but I'd like to go a little bit further back in Japan. 
What exposure did you have to cultures outside of Japanese culture? I didn't really have that much of exposure outside of Japan until I was probably middle school or high school. I had a teacher, I think she was sent to Japan through a JIT program, teaching English to us. So I was taking what they call a kaiwa in Japan, English conversation school. So the teacher was from America. I think she was from California. So that was, I think, the first time I was exposed to a culture outside of Japan. I'm from a very traditional Japanese family. None of my family have lived outside of Japan. They're really busy, typical Japanese country. <laughs> So they didn't really have much time to travel or anything like that. So I would say the first exposure to outside of Japan was probably middle school through high school. You mentioned the JET program, and I imagine that was for many Japanese children, their first Mm -hmm. exposure to someone from another culture. Could you tell us a little bit about the JET program for those who may not be familiar? The JET program is sponsored by the Japanese government. The teachers or the adults who want to teach English in Japan come from all over the world. What do you recall most about that exposure? I just love learning English so that I can learn other perspective or the culture. It just inspired me the fact that, wow, if I speak English, then I can communicate with people from different countries and learn about them. So I saw it more like a tool. And interesting enough, the reason I got interested was because when I was going into middle school, my grandpa was like, Chie, you know what? Moving forward from now on, in order for you to thrive in a global world, you have to be able to speak in English. So make sure you be able to not just speak, but do the work in English. So I wasn't really particularly interested when I started. But I think there was a moment where I had a first interaction with a gentleman from England. That really inspired me. Whoa, I was able to communicate and talk from somebody from totally different country, totally different perspective and all that. So I thought that was just inspired me to learn something different other than my own. Your grandpa was very forward thinking to get you to focus on that. Yeah, he was a very traditional, stubborn, typical Japanese old man. He had that old tradition side of him, but then at the same time, he had a very forward thinking about him as well. He liked something very progressive thinking and a certain effect. And that first experience with that gentleman from England and finding that you could communicate with him, having been on the opposite end, I can remember that feeling as well. It was an exciting moment. In a way, it was interesting because that was a royal British band. They had a tour in Japan and my grandpa was the one who wanted to go to the concert. And after the concert, the people were just hanging on backstage and we went there and we just started talking. And it was fun. And I was practicing what I learned at school. So it was very basic. I introduced <laughs> myself and where are you from? Stuff like that. Very basic. But then I was able to communicate somehow. I thought that was very fun. So somewhat ended up exchanging the address and I wrote to him. And he wrote me back. So that was a very interesting perspective. I asked him what he does and what it's like in life in England and stuff like that. So that kind of opened the door for different cultures and different worlds out there. It made me think of what I wanted to do when I grew up. And my teachers in middle school always were telling me, okay, you should become a middle school teacher and work with us. But they were early in the recruiting for future teachers. But I was like, I want to do something using what I know, but then using English and something to do with international relations, what I can do. So what I was researching different things, and I found a Japanese teacher to teach Japanese as a foreign language. 
And that's the goal that I set for myself. I was probably 13, 14 and classical Japanese and all that. I wasn't really into it. So my Japanese teacher, who I really had a close relationship with, she was not discouraging. She was saying, but wait a minute, Chie, if you want to teach Japanese, that means you're teaching Japanese, right? And I said, yeah. Okay. That includes all the kanji and different things that you're not really particular into. And I was like, yes, but I'm not going to be teaching Japanese to Japanese people. I'll be teaching Japanese to people who are learning Japanese as a second language. So that's a different thing. And I'm not interested in teaching in college. I'll be interested in elementary school or middle school or high school where I know they're not going to go any further. It's going to be basics. I think I can do it. And then she was like, okay, then you have to make sure you get the good grades in my class. And I was like, okay. So that was the reaction I got. And I was looking at different paths, how to become a Japanese teacher outside of Japan. So when I was researching it, I found out to teach in America, you have to have teaching license from that state if you want to teach in the public schools. Most people back then to teach Japanese as a foreign language, they were coming in as a grad student and teach Japanese as assistant through the college and so forth. But I was not interested in going two years extra. So I want to go straight right into a undergrad and get the teaching license. So that's how I determined to came to the States was one, wanted to experience what it's like to be an exchange student because that's what I wanted to teach. Also, it was around that time I learned about the exchange program and I always wanted to be a high school student in America. So it took me probably three to six months to convince my parents, especially my dad, because he was fine for me to go outside of Japan, but he was more like, why don't you go after you graduate? That's not late. And I was like, yes, that's true. But I have no interest going in two years of extra school to get a teaching license. And there's different kind of things happened and opened the door for me to enroll for an exchange program that I thought I wouldn't qualify for. Wow, that's incredible. And I guess that was your first time outside of Japan. To the United States, but I did a few weeks a short winter program in England. When I was junior in high school, I had a chance to go to England and stay with a family there and then go to English language school during the winter break. And how did that compare with going to the U.S.? It was different in the sense that it was short period of time of the commitment and I did not go to their local high school. It was a language program. There were some high school students, but mostly more young adults, college age, and there's some adults in the program as well. And then what we are learning was really about English itself, how to communicate and so forth. Coming to the United States as an exchange student, that was totally different. You stay with a host family and you will have to go to a high school. And the school I went to, they did not have that many students who speak English as a second language. So they didn't have an ESL class for English learner as a second language. So I had to be placed with English class and uh, participating in like creative writing and stuff like that. And then you learn politics and histories. That was a very different experience and I struggled in the beginning. And you have to keep up with it and do all of these other things. What was one thing that really stuck out for you in the first while that you were there in the U.S.? First of all, I was very fortunate to have a great host family and a great friend. So the life outside of my personal struggle of studying in English, everything was great. But one particular thing was like aha cultural difference moment, especially at the school. 
was the time when the student was really acting up, speaking back to the teacher, was not listening. Clearly something was going on. Now, if it was in Japan, that student would be screamed by a teacher in front of everybody. That's what would have happened usually. But this case, which, like I said, because I was in a very good school, good friends, that was the first time when I encountered somebody in my class was clearly being disrespectful. Then that teacher, instead of talking to this individual in the classroom, she took her out of the classroom and talked one-on-one outside where we didn't even hear what they're talking about. And that was the one of the aha moment or, oh, it is different. This is the way students are disciplined or talked by a teacher if there's something going on. Looking back at that situation, have you had any further insights on where that difference comes from? That also happens at workplace as well. In Japan, it is very common. Somebody makes a mistake and maybe coaching session in front of people. And then the perspective is that if somebody else is also listening, then they will all learn the same lesson. Mm. That's their perspective, right? That's why they do it the way they do it. But a workplace here, if you do that here, it's more being perceived as you were humiliated. It's usually happened more private setting. But that kind of conversation often happens in Japan in public open space or in front of a group of people. Yeah, I'm pretty that's... changing now, but I know that's what I'm hearing from the people. It's more common. And then definitely at school, I'm pretty sure that's common too. It sounds to me like from the Japanese perspective, there's a difference between the collective thinking versus the individual. It's the same way in Canada too. If you Mm. call someone out in front of a group, then you're humiliating me, you're hearing some private things, but the traditional perspective in Japan, that this is an opportunity Mm -hmm. to learn. You mentioned that it's changing. I think there are certain things that are maybe changing from what I'm hearing from the people that are in Japan, like my friends or the articles I read, but I'm pretty sure the common practice may be still there, not as extreme, but maybe I'm hoping maybe it's changing a little bit. I think it depends on the age group too. And it depends on the age group or the situation. There are certain things that might be okay to talk to that individual openly if it's not that serious, but... If it's something you feel like it's more going on, I'm pretty sure no one wants to talk about what's really going on from other people. So in the workplace, I think private conversation is much better. But at the same time, for younger, the school setting, I think it might be a different situation. Not necessarily trying to say that one practice is better than the other, but I see what you're saying about depending on the situation and the age groups. Then you had your year in the United States as a high school student, and what was the next step? The entire year I spent with my host family, so they treated me like a family. I did come back to the state and went to the two-year junior college in the same state. And again, they were like my family, so I will go stay with them for the summer. I'll come back to Japan during the winter, but for the summer or Thanksgiving or any holidays, they will invite me back. The success I had in earlier years in the U.S., I really owe to my host families. Without them, I would not be here. And my host families are still like they're my parents. Or for my kids, they're like a grandparent. And they have their own nickname, Papa John and Nana Rhonda and all that. So that was a great experience where I really cherish and I don't take it for granted. And then that's the reason I was able to come back and continue my education. I ended up transferring to Indiana University and got the degree from there. So I did a lot of teaching during my year in Indiana University. 
I did work as a outreach assistant at Indiana University's East Asian Studies Center. And the location of the school or the population wise, there weren't that many native speaker of Japanese. There were a lot of opportunities to be invited to the various schools from kindergarten through high school, talk about Japanese cultures and Japanese language. And there are many Japanese programs throughout the state of Indiana as well. So I think that state itself was really involved or invested in different cultures and language programs. And I did assist the exchange program for one of the high school that received a grant through East Asian Study Center. I helped to select the students and also prep those students to go to Japan for probably about a year or so, a few months before we took the students to Japan in the summer. I had a monthly session to talk to them about what to be careful of, what to do while they are in Japanese house, how to take off the shoes and how to use a Japanese style toilet and stuff like that. So I did like a prep for those students and I took the students to Japan with the teacher. And I was also substitute teacher for that school as well. I had a lot of opportunities during the undergrad. You had a lot of exposure and a lot of opportunities to act as a bridge for students going both ways. What did you take away from that experience? And what did you learn about American culture? What did you learn more about Japanese culture acting as that bridge? Leaving my home, I gained, I think, more appreciation towards my culture in my family because I grew up in a traditional Japanese countryside home where my father was the oldest son. So since my parents got married, they have to move into my grandparents' house. So I grew up with my father's side, grandparents, and my parents and my brother. So for us in that community, it was pretty normal. But outside of that, I realized it was not normal. And what I had was a very special place that I grew up with. But then you grew up there, so you take everything for granted. You don't really see from an outside perspective. So you learn a lot more about that. And I think I read more Japanese literature in English more than I did in Japan. So some of the people made fun of me. So you're from Japan. Says yes. And then you're studying Japanese in American university to teach Japanese. Yes. We we're like, okay. <laughs> it was hard for them to quite understand why I was doing the way I was doing it or what the route I took. What I took away from it was realizing how special Japanese culture is, Japan is, and special where I grew up, where my hometown is. So that to summarize it, I think that's more gain more appreciation. What a fantastic interview with Chie. Part one, of course. Part two is going to be next Monday. One of the things that was a real takeaway for me was how difficult situations are handled, particularly when it comes to a student who is acting up. The difference in approach that in Japanese culture, traditionally, they would be yelled at in front of the group to serve as a learning moment. And in some cases, this seems to still occur in traditional Japanese companies, as I understand that. Whereas in Canada and the U.S., it's more common to take that person aside. It's important to be aware of different ways and the intention behind them. That was a very interesting takeaway. In the second part of the interview coming out on Wednesday, we'll find out more about Jay's time in Japan and the U.S. as an adult. 
she talks about some very interesting things, such as life on an American military base in Japan. And of course, the current projects that she has helping Japanese expats and their families in the U.S. So when we think about culture, often the default is to think about national culture. But in the 21st century, with such a global environment, there are so many other aspects of culture. Culture in different communities within the same country, within different corporations, within different professions. And there's a really interesting point about the culture on a military base, which I found very interesting. And I would encourage you to tune in for that. There are many different aspects when we think of ourselves in a cultural way. Uh, I consider myself a Canadian, but a Canadian with an Irish background from my mother. I spent several years in Japan. I have background as an ESL instructor, also experience as an actor from many lifetimes ago, married to a Japanese Argentinian who is a Canadian citizen. I work in intercultural environments. I'm a Generation X. There are so many different aspects and all of these can be adapted to when you have that cultural awareness about yourself. And if you have any questions about raising your cultural awareness, whether it's to adapt to another country or to act as a bridge like Chie does between two different cultures, come to the Hiyaku Coaching website at thriveglobally.ca. You can find out more information there, and you can also schedule a conversation with me to find out more about what Hiyaku Coaching can do for you. And until next time, keep navigating your way between cultures towards your goals.